Well, good morning. Uh, I have been looking forward to this, not only to uh, look through Psalm 13 together, but uh, also because my name has been under heat recently uh, from this stage, and uh, this is my chance now to defend myself. Uh, you know, a few weeks ago, Pastor Chris made light of the fact that I still use these three-by-five cards for all my to-do lists, and uh, there's, you know, it's not that weird. There's something satisfactory about, you know, checking off boxes. Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, when Joel set up this short three-week series on the Psalms, he, he mentioned that I had some great names for this series, and uh, you know, I, I put a lot of thought into them. I'm a creative type of person, so I even made some visuals. I thought maybe that would help uh, you know, really sell Rob and Joel on the idea, and, and he rejected them all, but um, for you guys, I wanted to know what you were missing out on. Um, so this was my first idea. Uh, it's a short series on the Psalms, so just Psalm of the Psalms. Uh, this was another one, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And then my favorite one, uh, I want to dance with somebody. Uh, and, and Joel said no to all of them. So really, uh, that was your loss. I'm really sorry, because I think those would be great ideas. Uh, and, then, and then last week, as Rob preached from Psalm 40, he mentioned he and, he and Joel just preached one psalm each, and so it was up to me as the worship pastor to cover the other 148 psalms, uh, which we are not going to do today. I'm sorry to let you down. Uh, we're just going to cover one psalm. It's Psalm 13, and um, thank you to Carol for, for reading God's word to us. I hope you have it open. Uh, we're going to be referencing it a lot. Uh, and as we begin, I do want to ask you a question. Uh, I want to ask you, when, when there is uh, trials, when there's suffering, when you uh, receive that call from the doctor or, or from a loved one, or, or you hear of, of someone you, you know who has, who has passed away, how do you respond? How do you respond in those moments when, you're, when your heart sinks and when there's a, a pit in your stomach? Is your, is your first response uh, despair? Is it, uh, Lord, I, I can't do this. I can't handle this right now. Or maybe is it the opposite? Is it denial? Uh, you, you don't like feeling this way, and so you just try to bury it. You try to, uh, to act like it's not that bad. You try to convince yourself that it's going to be fine. Maybe, uh, maybe another way you could get to the bottom of it is just to ask yourself, how do I respond when, uh, when someone I know is going through pain and suffering, going through a trial? Uh, you know, do, do I try to just uh, find a silver lining for them so I can try to get out of the conversation fast? Uh, or maybe I, I just try to relate to it in some way. Maybe uh, Christians, we can be guilty of this, just maybe throwing a, a Christianese phrase at them, like, well, God's still good, which is true, but doesn't really meet them in their moment of need. Well, there's, there is pain, there is suffering in, a, in every person around us, and, and if you're not going through a season right now, there, there will be one in your future. It's your encouraging news for today. Uh, and oftentimes there's even, even pain and suffering hiding beneath the surface of the brothers and sisters we see here on a Sunday morning. We see the, the pain and the brokenness of our world. It's been maybe even amplified over the past few years as we've uh, struggled through a pandemic together, as we've seen mass shootings, as we've seen the brokenness of our world, even in the, the cultural divides that seem to be escalating. We see the brokenness of our world in, in sickness, in disease. We see it in uh, divorce and broken relationships. We see it in addiction. We see the pain of this life all around us. And, and the good news for us is that uh, the God doesn't shy away from 
the hard things in our life, that the Christian life isn't just rainbows and butterflies, and God knows that, but he's given us actually a, a language to respond to him in those moments. When we experience those times of suffering and pain, he has given us a language, a beautiful language called lament. Uh, what, it, what is lament? You might be asking yourself. Uh, if you grew up in, in the church, maybe you know a little bit, but uh, lament, and I, I really like this definition. Um, Pastor Mark Rogop, just down the road at College Park, who literally wrote the book on lament, he says this about lament. Lament is the prayer language for God's people as they live in a world marred by sin. It's how we talk to God about our sorrows as we renew our hope in his sovereign care. To cry is human, but to lament is Christian. See, lament's more than uh, just an expression of sorrow or venting of our emotions. Lament talks to God about the pain. It's not complaining to the God or, or feeling self-pity about yourself, but uh, it's actually a, a unique purpose uh, to, to renew our trust in God. It's a divinely given invitation of God to, to, to lay our fears and anxieties and, and frustrations before him, but then to renew our confidence and, and to renew again that we trust in God. Uh, lament is not an uncommon thing in the Bible. Uh, there's a whole book actually dedicated to lament. It's called Lamentations. Uh, there's a lot of laments in uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, and then in this book that we're in right now, the book of Psalms, over a third of the Psalms are actually lament Psalms. Uh, there's 65 laments out of the uh, 150 Psalms. And so this should tell us something about lament. It's an, an important part of the human experience. Jesus, uh, as, as he invites us in, just as much to, to worship him in thanksgiving and joy and praise, we also ought to come before God with our laments and lay our burdens at the feet of the maker of the universe. And so that's what Psalm 13 is going to help us do today. Would you uh, just pray with me real quick as we dive into this passage? God, we do know that this world is broken. Uh, each one of us have experienced that in different ways. God, there might even be people here in a very dark, uh, deep season. And so, God, thank you for the language that you've given us of lament. Help us, help me in, in Psalm 13 to, to be able to see how to use this in our own lives so that we might renew our trust and our hope in you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, look with me at verse 1. In verse 1, David cries out to the Lord and he says, How long, O Lord? This is our, our first step in the four elements of lament. The first step is to, to turn to God. Uh, now, this, this may seem like an obvious step. This may seem like an obvious answer, but um, it's often one that we forget to do or we choose not to do. Uh, I shared a little bit about this in the intro, but, you know, oftentimes when we get bad news, our, our response is not to turn to God. It's, it's to, to wallow in fear and, and anxiety and self-pity. Uh, sometimes we, we just try to shove it down. Or sometimes we just try to power through, you know, like the American, like we're just going to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. Um, one other way, maybe you're a stereotypical husband like me, and uh, when things go wrong in our life, you know, my first response is often like, what can we do to fix this? Uh, what, what can we do to, to solve the problem so that it's not a problem anymore? Uh, but, but for us, if we move past uh, the, the phase of lamenting to God, if we move past processing our emotions before the Lord, one of the, the risks that we run is that uh, those un, undealt with issues can turn into frustrations. And frustrations not only with others, but frustrations with the Lord. And, 
And those frustrations can then turn into bitterness, and bitterness can turn into apathy. See, lament, uh, it, it turns and it runs toward God when sorrow tempts us to run from him. Talking, talking to God instead of getting sinfully angry or embittered requires a biblical conviction. It, it requires a knowledge that when we lay our messy struggles out before God, he hears us and he can act, he can move. Uh, what a gift it is that we can approach the throne of grace, isn't it? Uh, but, but to neglect it would be to, to miss out on this great gift God has given us. Uh, it's a sign of, of intimacy even that we get to approach God's throne. Uh, for example, if you had a loved one or if your spouse was going through a really difficult time and yet they chose not to tell you or, or, or process that with you, uh, I think you would feel left out. You would, you would feel like, man, I really wanted to be there for you. God is inviting us in that way to, to lay our burdens at his feet, to approach him, and to know that he hears us. As the, as the hymn says, oh, what a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. And so our first step in lament is to turn to God. Our second step is to, uh, to bring our complaints to God. When trials and depression and anxieties, uh, suffering hits our lives, we turn to God and then uh, we, can, we can approach him with these painful things that are happening. David cries out four different times in these first two verses, how long? How long, O oh Lord? And this repetition, it, it, it emphasizes the depths of emotion that David's experiencing. It emphasizes this pain that David is carrying. And so uh, David gives us these, these four examples of how to cry out to God with our complaints. First, he says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? It's very common. You've probably experienced it. When, when you're going through pain, when you're going through a difficult season, uh, our first response can, can be, God, how long will this last? It's really hard to see the end. It's really hard to see the surface when you're drowning under the crashing waves. But David here gives us a great example. He teaches us that uh, what we can do is we can stretch our view out as far as possible into the, into the future, knowing that this present suffering, this present grief will not last and that we do have hope. In, in asking the question, will this last forever, David even hopes within himself that it would not be so. And he knows that even though he's in this valley, uh, God will not leave him there forever. We as Christians, we can take solace in the fact knowing that, uh, that God's deliverance and his timing is, is often better than our own ignorance would want. And it's even nearer, as it's been said, than often our unbelief allows us to hope. Second, the, the psalmist David, he pleads to the Lord, he says, how long will you hide your face from me? Uh, in the Old Testament, this is a common um, expression. God's, God's face signified a sign of blessing. Uh, one of the examples, there was a, a famous song about this a couple years ago, uh, is in Numbers 6, 24, which says that the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. God's face, God's look is a sign that he is with you, that he sees you, and, and David's not experiencing that. So reversely, the, the hiding of God's face, it's an expression of, of alienation and of curse. David, David feels alone, and not only alone from, from his friends, but alone from the Lord. And his suffering and his loneliness just amplifies his anguish. It's very easy uh, in our suffering to feel isolated. I remember 
a while back talking to a lady in our church who was going through a season of cancer, and she shared that when she received her diagnosis, a lot of people, a lot of friends and family reached out, and they regularly would ask her about updates and would say they're praying for her, send her encouraging notes, but as her battle continued, as there was not an immediate relief, it slowly died down, and she began to feel very lonely. And she even uh, felt the, the presence of God early on had, had faded in many ways. When we're going through dark seasons, we can feel like David here. God, how long will you hide your face from me? How long will I suffer in loneliness? David then petitions the Lord in verse 2. He says, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? Uh, in the NIV, and, and this is a common uh, translation for the word counsel, uh, is the word thoughts. So another way to read this might be, uh, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Um, my wife, Chloe, and I are very different personalities in many ways. And uh, I, I saw this tweet a while back that I sent to her, and we joke about it all the time. Um, I just want to read this here for you. Uh, there are two types of people in the world, one who falls asleep immediately and one who lays in bed for hours thinking about how everyone they love will die one day. And then they marry each other. <laughs> and, uh, and that sums up our relationship. I, I'm asleep before I hit the pillow and, and oftentimes Chloe's just laying there with her thoughts. I love you, babe. Uh, and also, sorry, I fell asleep so fast. Uh, but, but we are often alone with our thoughts. And, and when we're going through suffering, when we're going through deserts, when we're going through dark times, this only amplifies the places our minds wander. There's, there's many places that our mind will go. And David is, is saying this here. He, he's saying, uh, I, I'm alone with my thoughts. How long must I take counsel in my soul? How long must I have sorrow in my heart all the day? The, the psalmist is in this prolonged period of suffering. He feels like God's forgotten him. And, and even the, the small things of life that didn't seem to be such a burden, because he doesn't feel God's presence, become amplified in his life. And so he, he searches his soul. He searches his thoughts, and yet uh, he finds only sorrow there. The fourth complaint that David gives is in verse 2, and he says, How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? When, when David uses the word enemy, um, it, it might be referring to a physical flesh and bone enemy, um, but oftentimes in the Psalms, and a lot, of, a lot of commentaries have said this about this passage, that a lot, a lot of times it's, it's not just a physical enemy. Lots of times it's an enemy either visible or invisible, human or, or diabolical. And so one of the commentaries I was reading said, you know, we, shouldn't, uh, we should guard against a narrow interpretation or identification of this enemy. Another, another way to say it is uh, we should still use this prayer even in our life, even if we don't have a physical enemy in mind. Because we, we do have an enemy. The Bible tells us that we have an, an enemy in sin that is uh, crouching at the door, eager to control us. It's the root of many of the sin uh, issues that we see in our life. Addiction, uh, broken relationships, death. Uh, but we also have a an, an common foe, a common enemy in Satan. The Bible says that Satan prowls around like a, a roaring lion, seeking whom he may destroy. And so what David is doing here is something that we can do. We can uh, call on God. 
to, to show his character to be true, that we can call on God to, to prove that he will protect his people over the enemies of their life. And so David, he brings these complaints and he lays them before the Lord. And uh, when we're thinking about this step of lament, complaining before the Lord, uh, there's, there's oftentimes, I don't know if you feel this, but uh, I almost feel like I can't do this. Like it, it, it feels wrong to do, like I would be sinning in some way. And so I think that these examples, these examples here that David gives us, they, they release us from that. That God doesn't shy away from the really difficult questions that are burning in our soul, but he invites us to, to lay them out before him. Now, if we stopped at complaining, that, that might be sinful. But, but this is part of the, the lament process, is to be honest with the pain that you're feeling in, in your heart and in your soul. And if, if even the, the maker of the universe who, who took on flesh, Jesus, could lament before God and say, how long, O God? If he can hang on the cross and say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then, then you and I can approach God with that same level of confidence, knowing that the man without sin lamented, so can we. And so we can bring our complaints before God. Thirdly, the third step in this process is to ask boldly for help. This is what David does in verse 3 and 4. He calls on the Lord and he says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. David gives three different imperatives here. He says, consider. He says, answer me. And he asks God to give him light. Uh, They they present a a really helpful, actually, structure for different ways that we can ask God for help when we're going through hard times. First, David asks God to consider him. And another word for consider is uh, for us to, to, to cry out to the Lord, God, would you look at me? This is how the NIV describes this part. Uh, the, the David says, look at me, O Lord. We know in, in verse 1 that David felt like God's uh, gaze had been uh, moved away from him, that he wasn't experiencing the blessing of God's uh, focus, and, and he's feeling alone and suffering, and, and he wants to know, God, are you there? Do you see my pain? Do you see my suffering? I think that's a common uh, feeling we feel in trials. And so we ask God very first to, to consider me, to look at me. Uh, Chloe and I, we, we recently had our, our second child. His name is Liam, and he's a few months old. He wasn't here until he started crying. And, uh, and it's been fun to see our three-year-old daughter become a big sister. And one of the fears we had was, well, she's not going to have all of mommy and daddy's attention anymore. You know, will she be jealous? And for the most part, she's not. Um, she's, she's an awesome big sister. She loves him a lot, a little too much sometimes. It's like, okay, let him breathe, you know. Uh, but, but oftentimes, there'll be a moment where we're changing a diaper or feeding Liam a bottle, and Everly will be doing something that she wants us to notice, and she'll, she'll cry out. She'll say, look at me. She knows that our attention's not on her anymore, and she will say, look at me, except she can't say her L's, so she says, yuck at me, daddy. So cute. And we're like Everly. I'm like Everly a lot. When I'm going through a, a season of depression or a difficult time, I just I cry out to the Lord, God, do you see what's happening here? Do you see this pain? Do you see that I'm hurting? David cries out, God, would you consider me? Second, he asks God, would you answer me? Uh, you'll notice just in asking God, will you answer me, there's, there's an inherent built-in level of faith 
that seeking God's help while in pain is, is an act of faith. It implies a, a trust that God not only hears, but that he can move and that he can act in our circumstances. David, David has felt uh, God's faithfulness before. He's seen God work. He's seen God answer prayers. And so he asks again, God, would you answer me? Christians, we, we don't just mourn, but we long for God to end the pain. And then third, David cries out, and he beseeches the Lord. He says, light up my eyes. Uh, a common saying, I'm sure you've heard this before, is that the eyes are the window to the soul. And this is, this is not more true, cannot be more true than for those that are going through suffering. Like You can see it on their face. You can see it in their eyes. You can see it in the tear-stained, sunken eyes of somebody who is uh, just wondering, is this going to end at any time? And David has felt that. He's felt the depression, the sadness in his eyes. And so he asks in a very poetic way, he asks, Lord, would you light up my eyes once more? God, would you change my circumstances so that I reflect the joy of your deliverance? People relieved from their burdens show, show their inner spiritual condition by their outward appearance. David asked, light up my eyes. We can ask God, God, would you move? Would you change me? Would you deliver me from this pain? And then David reminds us why he's asking God for help. David says in verse 4 there, he says that, uh, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. See, David uh, feared that he was going to lose heart. He feared that he would be shaken and that the enemies who wanted to see him fail, wanted to see God fail, would have victory over him. Uh, I th think that uh, for us, we can, we can pray in the way that David did here. We can pray that God would show himself to be faithful, that the, the enemy would not have victory over us, that our fears and anxieties and doubts would not control us, and that, uh, that our faith, that our confidence in God would not be shaken, that we would not doubt. So we can approach God, we can ask him boldly for help. And then the last step and lament, and the, the fourth piece here is we can choose to trust. Uh, all laments should end here. All laments end at the same road. It, it ends in trust of the Lord. In verses five and six, David says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Although he's in deep despair, and we've seen the depths of his despair in the first four verses, he's, he chooses not to be overwhelmed by his troubles. But in his desperation, David cries out to the Lord, and he says, I have trusted in you. How can we trust God, in the times of trouble, I think there's two examples here in verse 5 and 6 that David gives. We can recall and we can rehearse. First, we, we can recall, we can remember the things that God has done in our life. David says, I, I trusted in your steadfast love. David's seen his steadfast love. The theologian John Calvin, um, he wrote this. I wanted to share this quote with you. He said that David as far as he could gather by the actual state of things, seemed to himself to be deserted by God. Still, however, having previously enjoyed the light of faith, he penetrated with the eye of his mind into the hidden graces of God. Else how should he have directed his groans and desires to him? David has seen, he's experienced God's unfailing love in his life. 
He's seen God to be a promise-keeping, faithful God. And so he says, God has, has dealt bountifully with me. Another way to say that is, uh, God has been good to me, but, but bountifully good. God bestows his benefits on his, on his children, not in little bits, but in, in fullness. And, and he will give complete deliverance, whether in this life or the next. And so uh, we can remind our hearts that this won't last forever by recalling the times God's been faithful. David gives us many more examples in the Psalms of, of how he does this, and uh, one of my favorites is from Psalm 77. I wonder if even when he wrote Psalm 77, he was thinking back to this passage that we're talking about today, Psalm 13, when he says, I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated and my spirit asked, will the Lord reject me forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? But then I thought, and to this I will appeal, the years when the Most High, he stretched out his right hand. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider your works, and I will meditate on all your mighty deeds. David recalls God's faithfulness, and he chooses to trust that God will be faithful again. And then second, David rehearses. David concludes this prayer of lament by uh, looking ahead. He says, my heart will rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. For God's people, however long the time of suffering may be, it, it will not always last. There will, there will be a time of joy. There will be a time of deliverance. And when that time comes, we, we, will, we will rejoice. And even more so because we, we know what the darkness felt like. And, and so the, the light of, of Christ shining on us will be all the more sweet to us. Now, I do want you to note that uh, this psalm doesn't end in, in David being relieved from his troubles. It doesn't end with uh, all, all things just working out for good. But even in that moment, David chooses to look ahead and, and, and with confidence know that he will one day rejoice. Even the knowledge that deliverance was coming created this anticipatory calm and sense of confidence in David. As David here experiences God's salvation, uh, will he choose to, to trust God even still? For us uh, as Christians, we, we don't just worship God. We don't just choose to trust God. We don't just choose to uh, follow in obedience to God in the good times. But in the bad times too, God invites us to, to trust him through the hardships and to rehearse the days when we will rejoice in his salvation and sing to the Lord. All of our laments and in, in this way, in a trust of God, as we recall his goodness, rehearse his deliverance, and we remember his steadfast love. And brothers and sisters, what better example do we have of God's steadfast love than of Jesus Christ? Uh, the Bible calls Jesus a man of sorrows. It says he was well acquainted with grief. Uh, he, he walked uh, the walk that we did. He, he breathed the air that we breathed. He, he felt rejection and betrayal. He felt pain and loss. He experienced the death of friends in his lifetime. But more than that, he, he took on sin. When we were at our absolute lowest, when we were without hope, when we were without a future, when we had no ability to hope and to trust, God sent Jesus and he, he lived and he came and he died on a cross, on the cross that you and I deserved 
But as Jesus hung there on the cross in our place, dying with the weight of the world, the weight of every sin on his shoulders, he breathed out his final breath and he, he cried out in a lament to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as he breathed his last breath, he died our death. But he did not stay dead. He rose again on the third day, and with his resurrection, he defeated death once and for all. He gives us victory over the grave. He gives us a new identity, a new hope, a new future. And so, brothers and sisters, if you're here this morning and you have not placed your faith in Jesus, if you have not accepted Jesus as your Savior, then you are not only missing out, but you can't even practice what we've talked about. You cannot lament. Because without Christ, there would be no hope. We, we could not lament. No, uh, the laments show us that this world is broken, that, that there's shame and guilt in this world, that there's sickness and greed and lust, and, and even the things that look good on the, ends, the outside are, are actually empty on the inside. But we can take heart that in the brokenness, uh, Jesus has overcome the world. And for those that that place their faith in Jesus, that trust in his blood uh, alone to save them, that Jesus has prepared a place for us, a place where there will be no more tears, there will be no more suffering, there will be no more lament, a place where uh, he will wipe every uh, tear from our eyes and where he will make all things new. Brothers and sisters, if you have not trusted in Jesus uh, for your salvation, today would be a perfect day to do that. We would love to, to talk to you about that. Um, Pastor Chris or myself, there's some elders at the Next Steps table. You can even follow up uh, on your bulletin and start that conversation. But we would love for you to choose to trust Jesus. And, and for us as, as Christians who have, have put their faith in Jesus, uh, we have a great high priest. And Hebrews says we have a great high priest who's able to sympathize with our weakness. That means that Jesus knows what it feels like to suffer. Ray Ortland. He said this, when he, he's referencing Psalm 13, he said, if, if David can bank everything on God, even when on the brink of despair, how much more so can we today? For David saw God's steadfast love only in fairly abstract terms, in past acts of deliverance through events such as the Exodus, but we get to see God's steadfast love in con- concrete terms, in the great climactic act of deliverance in the person of his own son. Jesus Christ was the steadfast love embodied, not merely in an event, but in a person. Uh, Brothers and sisters, we can uh, choose to trust God because we've seen his steadfast love displayed for us on the cross through Jesus Christ. And so uh, as we kind of wrap up, as as we close out this passage, I do just want to encourage you, uh, one thing that you can do is you can just choose to, uh, to practice this language of lament, that you can choose whether you're in a time of suffering now or, or when suffering does come, e- even use it as, as you pray with others who are going through pain. Use these four steps. Uh, think to yourself, God, uh, how can I how, uh, bring this to you? How can I lay this at your feet? Be honest with with your complaints. Lay them before the Lord. Ask boldly for his help and then uh, choose to trust God. The the beautiful part about lament is that it shows us that God sees us. It shows us that God has not forgotten us. 
and shows us that no matter uh, what prolonged season of, of pain, whatever desert we may find ourselves in, God has seen us, he has shown us, and that, that the steadfast love has a name in Jesus Christ who has saved each one of us, and we can come to him, lay our burdens at his feet, and knows he, he hears us. So will you pray with me? God, we thank you for your steadfast love. We thank you for Jesus Christ who came into this world, who, who died the death we could not die so that we could have new life. God, thank you that you do not shy away from difficult uh, things that, uh, that occur in our life, that you give us actually a way to process through them uh, before your throne. God, thank you that you, you hear us and that when we cry out to you, you answer us. You hear our plea for help and you deliver. And so God, uh, for those in, in this room who are experiencing a difficult time, would you give them the faith to, to trust you? Would you give them the faith to cry out to you? Give them the, the faith to, to ask boldly for your deliverance, for your help. And God, in the meantime, as we wait on your timing, God, would you give us uh, an extra measure of faith, an extra measure of grace, knowing that you see us, you hear us, and you care. God, we love you. We thank you for your steadfast love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.